I want to invite you to open your Bible and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And before I hear gasps or what in the world, I thought we were doing a 12-year study in the book of Romans. We are. Uh, Have no fear. That will continue next week. I wanted to bring a a special message to you. And I think this is a habit we'll get in at the the beginning of every year as a a challenge to you personally, as a challenge to the congregation. And trust that the Lord would use this message, that you would remember this over the coming days, weeks, and months in 2020. History is peppered with pleas for radical change. President Kennedy Kennedy called for a national attitude change in 1961 when he uttered these now famous words, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Or if you travel across the big pond, Winston Churchill's passionate plea for Britain to maintain her courage and her bold stance against Nazi tyranny, he summed up his sentiments before the commons in 1940 when he uttered these words, We shall never surrender. And of course, I saved the best for last. Who can forget President Reagan's passionate plea to Chairman Gorbachev in West Berlin at the Brandenburg Gate on June 12, 1987. His words will be forever etched on our hearts and minds when he uttered these words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Well, the Apostle Paul was also known to be a man for making passionate pleas for radical change and radical transformation. In Colossians chapter 1, we get an inside look at the prayer life of Paul the Apostle. As we look at this passage, I want you to pay close attention to the the passion that Paul has for not only the Word of God, but for prayer. So I want to have you stand with me as we read this passage together, beginning in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 9 to 12. This is God's authoritative, infallible, inerrant word. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's pray together. Father, as we begin a new year, uh, there has been Quite a bit of expectation here at Christ Fellowship as we move into 2020. We are filled with anticipation of what will unfold in the next 12 months. And so I commit individuals to you. I commit families to you. I commit this corporate body to you. That this would be a year filled with growth and challenge. That sanctification would be uh, off the charts in the lives of many of your people. Lord, we ask that you would 
not only do a good work this morning, but you would do a, a mighty work of grace in the hearts of your people at Christ Fellowship this year. We're filled with excitement. We look forward to spending time in your word this morning. I want to commit this time to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, once again, I would encourage you to pay extra close attention to Paul's prayer life. We see the, the pattern of his prayer and we see the passion of his prayer. It's what I like to refer to, and this is kind of a, this is kind of a manly illustration. I'm, I'm sure that a few of the ladies will like this, but this is, a, this, is, this is for Jerry Toon and all the other men. This is Paul's dual exhaust prayer life. And all the men said amen to that. Paul's dual exhaust prayer life. First, I want you to see the pattern of his prayer. Verse 9. He begins right out of the gate. And so from this day, we heard that we have not ceased to pray for you. That The word prayer is a word that we use all the time here at Christ Fellowship. It simply means uh, to entreat, to, to pray to God. And we know throughout the pages of Scripture, we see the words popping up over and over again. In Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, we looked at these verses several months ago. Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, speaking of the believers in Rome, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Listen, that without Ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. You see this, this passion to consistently pray for the people of God. We see it again in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says, We give thanks to God for all of you, the believers in Philippi constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Paul says again, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you In our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. So it should not surprise us when we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, when Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And so we see in these very few examples that the pattern of Paul's prayer was one of consistency. There is a a never-give-up attitude in Paul, is there not? He is constantly praying. I know I've shared this story over and over and over again, but I think of St. Augustine in his years as as a pagan. His mother, Monica, would pray constantly for the conversion of her young son. 
And those prayers paid off, as you know, as now we see St. Augustine as one of the, the great, if not the greatest theologian in the history of the church. And so the pattern of Paul's prayer is one of constancy. It's one of consistency. It's a never give up attitude. That is his approach. But I promised a dual exhaust approach to Paul's prayer life. We move from his pattern to the passion of Paul's prayer. And this would be easy to pass over. So I want you to see it for a moment with me. Also in verse 9. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's the word that you might gloss over. Asking. Do you see that in the ESV if you have the English Standard Version? He's asking. That word asking comes from a Greek word that means to crave or desire passionately. To crave or to desire passionately. So we see here this, this consistent approach to prayer. This constant approach to prayer. And then he says in verse 9, there is something I am asking. There is something I am passionate about. There is something that is so close to my heart that the Colossian believers, you need to hear it. But we at Christ Fellowship, we also need to hear it. And Paul's prayer for those dear believers at the church at Colossae was also directed to each one of us. It was a persistent, passionate plea for radical change and transformation. And I believe that his plea strikes at the core of your Christian life and my Christian life. His plea is the same plea that moms and dads, you make on behalf of your children. If you have children and you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you have prayed for your children's salvation. As Monica prayed for Augustine's salvation. And those of you that have children who are young or in, in teenage years or even have left the house if they are walking with Jesus now you pray that God by the power of the Holy Spirit would sanctify them on a daily basis that they would walk with Jesus and I, I remember the words in Third John that John says I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth amen rose number one and two your mother and your father and your grandpa and your grandma, they think it would be great if you married a, 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 the perfect person. They think it would be great if you had a, an amazing career. They think it would be great if you either went into the military or graduated from college or if you chose to just go right into the workforce. You had this amazing job and you have this amazing house and an amazing car and amazing friends. Those are all great. They all Hail in comparison to what John prayed. This is his desire and this is mom and dad's desire that you would walk in the truth. Nothing else matters. By the way, I don't know if I've heard that many amens in months. It's like, wow. It's like, we, we, you, you might usher us into, into the next revival. My prayer for my children is that, that Abby and Nathan would be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that would walk in truth. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Paul's plea 
in Colossians 1 is the same plea that the elder council has for everyone here. We need to get that straight this morning. The urgent plea and prayer requests that we find in Colossians 1, 9 to 12 is the plea that I, along with every elder at Christ Fellowship and every deacon at Christ Fellowship, has for each of you today, the rest of 2020, and for the remainder of your days. And so that leads to this question. What is it? Exactly what is Paul's urgent prayer request for the church and what is his urgent prayer request for each one here this morning there's a twofold answer the first thing that paul is praying for is this that we would be christians who are digging deeper we would be christians who are digging deeper i want to read verse 9 once again to cement it into your hearts and minds and so from this day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking There's that fervent prayer request. He's begging for something. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice that his prayer request isn't for the perfect job. Notice that his prayer request is not for a a college degree. It's not for the perfect career. As, as, As great as these things are, they pale in comparison to this prayer request the prayer request is this that we would be a people who are digging deeper there are some key components to this prayer request that i want to share with you two in particular the first component is this is that we would be christians who dig deeper and that are filled with the knowledge of god's will If you look in verse 9, Paul uses that little phrase, filled with the knowledge of his will. I love that word translated from the Greek, filled. It means to fill to the top. It means to accomplish. It means to bring to realization for something to be carried out. Those might not resonate with you, but this final one will. I promise you. When you go to Olive Garden... And you get the all-you-can-eat breadsticks and salad. Raise your hand if you've done it. There's something that's a part of the ritual, and it's my favorite part of the ritual. And some of you already know where we're going with this. The server comes. Yeah, there's a laugh. Okay, the server comes, and she has this ingredient in her right hand, and it's a lovely ingredient. Parmesan cheese. Yeah, you got it, right? It's Parmesan cheese. And she says, sir, would you like Parmesan cheese? And I always looked at, I look at Doreen and she has a twinkle in her eye because she knows what's about to take place. It's going to be embarrassing because I love Parmesan cheese. And it always happens like this. She always kind of goes, and she looks at me and I went, no, keep going. And they've kind of gotten used to me is they just wait for me to give the nod. So it's like, I'll talk to him. I'll tell a joke. I'll share a Bible verse, you know, tell a story, you know, read the book of Romans, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And finally, as I look down, it's on my salad and you have to have it on your soup as well. That's what Paul's talking about. Did I not promise that that would resonate with you? To fill up. Paul's not talking about, right? He's talking about, lay it on me, baby. I want it all. He prays that the church, he prays for Christ's fellowship, 
would be filled, filled to the brim with the knowledge of his will. Let me give two examples where this word emerges. First in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 and 48. Matthew reports, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it, think of the net, when it was full, no way, overflowing. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. We need to realize that when these men caught the fish, it wasn't a couple fish. It was filled to the brim. Better yet, in John chapter 12, verse 3, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Paul's passionate prayer, friends, is that followers of Jesus would not be filled with fish or fragrance or Parmesan cheese, but they would be filled to the brim with the knowledge of God's will. It's important that we understand the knowledge that he's referring to. It comes from the Greek epikonosis. Many of you heard this word. It means precise knowledge. It means a knowledge that is full and rich and deep. And it's a combination of both the head and the heart. That's the knowledge that Paul is after. And this knowledge is in sharp contrast to what The first century church was experiencing with a group of false teachers called the Gnostics. You see, the Gnostics in the first century were promoting the idea that doctrine and rationality were utterly abandoned from spirituality. Rather, they sought for higher knowledge. They they sought for this, this secret knowledge, a secret higher knowledge or what they called Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. That's in radic- a radical departure of what Paul is after here. He uses the word in Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. He says, I don't cease giving thanks for you. You see a theme here. Remembering you in my prayers constantly. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In Ephesians 4, and this is the mandate for every elder to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is something that's going to happen even more in 2020. Our passion as elders is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature Manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In Philippians 1, Paul says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. John 17, 3, we looked at the high priestly prayer in Veritas this morning. Jesus prays, and, and this is eternal life, that they may Know you, the only God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul says in Titus 1.1, 1, 1, 
He refers to himself, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. You get the idea. You get the theme of knowledge. But here is the problem. And it's a weighty problem. And it gets worse every day. What we find happening in local churches, and I even see it in Bible colleges and seminaries, believe it or not, where knowledge becomes downplayed. Knowledge becomes marginalized. And downplaying knowledge in the Christian life is like planting a garden and being utterly unwilling to water it. I received a gift before we left on vacation. It was a beautiful poinsettia. And it might surprise you, but I actually like plants in my study. I just, I just like them. And so I was telling Jereen that I received this poinsettia. And she said, well, you, you need to water that, honey, or it's going to die. And being the strong, independent person that I am, I said, oh, it'll be fine. So we went away for a few days and got back. Some of the elders, I'm sure, were in my study, and they saw the plant, and it was deader than a doornail. And I felt horrible. What happened? I didn't do due diligence and water the plant. The same holds true in the Christian life. When we downplay knowledge, and please understand and please believe me, it's happening like an epidemic. It's happening like a plague all across churches, especially in America. We're downplaying knowledge. And as a result, Christians are shriveling. Christians are shriveling. In many ways, we have returned to the days of pietism. And some of you may think positively about pietism. I can't think of anything good about pietism. These are the days what Mark Knoll refers to as a, quote, reoccurring tendency within Christian history to emphasize the practicalities of the Christian life less than the formal structures of Christian theology. Does that ring a bell? We're in, Pastor, we're interested in the practical. We don't want the doctrinal. We want the practical. If you disregard the doctrine, you shrivel. If you throw away the theology, you shrivel and become weak as a follower of Jesus. To downplay or remove the knowledge component of the Christian life is absolutely deadly to the sanctification process. And I can, I can almost tell where, where some of you are imagining that I'm going to go. And you're exactly right. Because we're going to address reading. We're going to address study. We're going to address discipline. What does it mean to, to pursue God and be sanctified? I so appreciate several of you have come to me over the last couple of months and say, I want to grow in my desire to read the word and study the word and read good Christian books. May your tribe increase. Right? So for those of you who are like I used to be, because it's a shocker. It's a shocker when people learn that there was a day when I hated to read. The end of August 1985, my mom and dad took me to Multnomah, my first year of college. And I owned, and it wasn't this one, but you get the idea. I owned one book, my Bible. That's it. I might have had some Hardy Boys. 
but that doesn't count. I didn't like to read. I just didn't like to read. It wasn't until 1991, something happened in my life where I realized that if I'm going to be in ministry, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even if I go into the business world, it doesn't matter what I do. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to take seriously the endeavor to read and study and pour myself into the biblical texts and good Christian books. And I never looked back. And it has it has revolutionized my life. It's revolutionized my life. Proverbs 19.2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with it, his feet misses the way. So for those of you who are where I was prior to 1991, I, I can kind of Break it in easy and just say, you've got to move forward and set yourself to the task of Christian discipleship by reading and learning and studying. After all, the word translated disciple simply means learner. That's all it means. When Jesus told the disciples to make other disciples and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, what he had in mind was to Help to nurture learners. That's what our mission is at Christ Fellowship, to nurture learners. So if you're here, and this is where I'm on the the thinnest of ice, if you say, I'm a follower of Christ, I have no interest in learning, that has to change today. It has to change today. And your mind is like a muscle. Some of you have had the experience, and I have had this experience too, where you get lazy physically, and you decide one day, I need to get in shape. And so you get on the treadmill. I remember this happening once. I'm like five minutes on the treadmill. I'm like, I'm going to die. I am going to die. This last year, I walk and ran 3,500 miles, and it was no big deal. I don't say that to boast. I just say, I remember a day when five minutes on the treadmill, I was ready to call the morgue. I mean, this is horrible. It hurts. But when you get in shape, it's no big deal. It's the same with our brains, the same with our minds. You start to read and you're like, man, this is hard. This is difficult. Your mind is a muscle. Your mind is a muscle. And as your mind develops and you, as you, you grow more comfortable with the word of God and comfortable with reading good Christian literature, it begins to grow and expand. And all of a sudden, it's no big deal. Just like physical exercise. Christians who dig deeper are filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is the first component of digging deeper. The second component is also found in verse 9. That is that we ought to be Christians who dig deeper and also apply God's word. Paul says that we, his prayer is that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That refers to the integration of application of spiritual truth to daily situations. It works like this. We take what we know and we apply it directly to our daily lives. We apply biblical principles in our families in our workplaces, and wherever we are in our lives. And so prayer request number one, Paul prayers for the believers in Colossae, and he prays for 
every believer, including you who are at Christ Fellowship, that we need to be a people in 2020 who are digging deeper, digging deeper, digging deeper. He not only prays for believers to be consumed by the truth, he prays for a life that is committed to transformation. So we move from from digging or being consumed by the truth to transformation or the second prayer request to be growing stronger. He prays that we would would be Christians who dig deeper and grow stronger. Look at verse 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here is the principle by way of introduction. When the truth When God's truth consumes you, that same truth transforms you. When God's truth consumes you, which takes time and effort and discipline, that truth transforms you. That is to say, growing in Christ never occurs in a vacuum. Growing in Christ never occurs in a laboratory. Rather, we see the pattern of truth transforming people to the glory of God. I can think of saint after saint after saint who was consumed by the truth and catapulted into the stratosphere because of what the truth did for them. You think of men like John Knox. You feel like, feel like you think of the former slave trader, John Newton. You think of St. Augustine, you think of Martin Luther, you think of John Calvin, you think of C.H. Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was one in England who studied to be a medical doctor. And he was numbered among the best physicians in London. And then God's word, God's truth got a hold of him and he realized that he needed to change careers midstream and move from being a medical doctor to a physician of souls. And he became one of the greatest pastors in all Of English history. And has wielded a great influence. On my life as well. We see a pattern of truth. Transforming people to the glory of God. And what follows in verses 10 to 12. Are five marks of transformation. That are the supernatural results. Of a Christian. Who is consumed by the truth. You want to know what it looks like. When you, when you are committed to digging into the truth. What is the takeaway? Well the benchmarks of spiritual growth. Are here for the taking. The first is this. Is that we are worthy walkers. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner. Worthy of the Lord. That phrase worthy means to live properly. In a way that honors God. And of course, you know, you're familiar at this point with the word walk. It comes from the Greek peripateo. It's found throughout the pages of the New Testament. It means how we conduct our lives. And it's this metaphor that Paul is is fond of using, that John is fond of using. Let me give a few examples. Paul refers in Romans chapter 6 verse 4 to believers who walk in newness of life. He refers to believers who walk honestly, who walk by faith, who walk by the Spirit, who walk in love, who walk as children of the light, who walk 
circumspectly or walked carefully. Or John the Apostle says that believers are to walk in truth. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.12 that we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And I would be remiss not to include Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 where Paul says, I I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called. The worthy walk, the first benchmark of spiritual growth, is such a critical aspect of the Christian life that the late Francis Schaeffer referred to Ephesians 4.1 as the final apologetic. If you have ever read Francis Schaeffer, you know he had a a stunning intellect and he had a heart for the lost. And I would be the last person in the room that would want to argue with one of his assertions. His, His intellect was stunning. But isn't it interesting, a man of that intellectual capacity would say that the final apologetic is not an argument. The final apologetic is not a syllogism. The final apologetic is not systematic theology. The final apologetic is living like Jesus. The final apologetic is the worthy walk that Paul refers to in Ephesians 4.1. The worthy walk shines the spotlight on Jesus and shows the world that he is the God who is supreme above all. And so the first benchmark is that we would walk worthily. The second benchmark is that we are fruit-bearing Christians. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. It's interesting that word bearing literally means to produce a crop. To produce a crop. And over the years I have met Christians who embrace this idea that no fruit is necessary and nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus prayed this in John chapter 15. He said that by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Of course, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we have labored the point in Romans, and we will continue to labor the point in Romans, that we receive right standing with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the reformers were quick to clarify that while we are justified by faith alone, that faith is never alone. We are justified by faith alone, but when you are justified by faith alone, good works will miraculously explode forth from your life. If you say, Pastor, I've been justified, but never sent any good works, the Bible would say this, you're not a Christian. Because when you become a Christian, you'll have a desire for the Word of God. You'll have a desire to be around the people of God. You'll have a desire to serve God. You'll have a desire to worship God. Never perfectly. Never perfectly. Some mornings I wake up and I don't want to read the Bible. Am I the only one? Wow. You say, what's going on here? Some mornings I wake up and I don't want to exercise, but I, I know I need to. And what always happens when I'm done exercising, I'm always glad I did. 
When I don't feel like reading, when I don't feel like doing devotions, when I'm done, I'm always glad I did. And so discipline is a key component here. When you bear good fruit in every good work, you glorify the great God of the universe with your life. Look at the third benchmark of growth, and that is growing in the knowledge of God. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, verse 10, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's that phrase, knowledge, once again, precise knowledge, rich and deep, a combination of both the head and the heart. To increase in the knowledge of God meant, then means that we must grow in our understanding of who God is. Yesterday, I was, I was sharing with Steve, I believe, that I was at a bookstore, used bookstore, Goodwill. There it is. I said it. I love Goodwill. Yes. Thank you. I'm looking at the books and the gentleman says to me, hey, hey, uh, have you read that book? And I looked down. He's pointing at two copies of The Shack. And I said, yes, I have. I wrote a 45-page review critiquing it and condemning it. And his eyes got this big like he thought it was great. We need to understand who God is according to the revealed word of God, not Paul Young. We need to understand who God is according to the revealed word of God, not a compromised author, pastor, or theologian. And so we have a passion that at Christ Fellowship, you would learn more about God in 2020. And so I want to encourage you, if if you're not plugged into a Veritas class, it is never too late. Plug into a Veritas class and get to growing, get to studying, get to learning so that you would grow in your knowledge of God. Some of you know that we do a a book recommendation on a monthly basis. I believe next week we'll have a, a new one on tap for you. And that's just not to, to fill blank space. That's not to just put an insert in the bullet. That's not just to post something on the website. These are books that we want to re- re- recommend to you to help you grow spiritually so that you would be growing in your knowledge of God. I also want to highlight something that my son has helped us with at Christ Fellowship. He has gone onto the website and included a link to... Uh, several of the recommended books that we've included in the read it selection and also several a couple of dozen other books and here's the way it works if you go to the church website you'll see several categories for instance you can look under doctrine of god you'll click under doctrine of god and all the books that have radically revolutionized my life at least some of them are listed and when you click on that book for instance the doctrine of god by john frame you click on that link it sends you right to Amazon, you can purchase it within the next five seconds. So I want to encourage you, if you have not had a chance to check that out, to to look that over. I want to also encourage you to commit in 2020 to reading the Bible, to grow in your knowledge of God, and also good Christian books. I sent an email um, last week. Had Tanya sent an email to the whole church family, and within that email was I can't even remember eight or nine or ten or eleven 
plans for you to read the Bible in a year. Some of them are really robust and rigorous and challenging. Others of them are like the simplest thing you've ever seen in your life. I want to encourage the church family to be reading through the Bible in 2020. This is my challenge. As I sent the email out last week. I encourage you that if, if you're going to grab the bull by the horns and, and commit to reading the Bible in a year, to send me an email and let me know which plan you chose, just so I can send a, a short one or two sentence reply back to you. Keep digging deeper. Keep growing stronger. We probably have about 150 people here this morning. Tanya, when did that email go out? Wednesday? Thursday? I debated on whether or not I should do this or not because I don't motivate via guilt, but I think I'm going to right now. I got nine emails back. I don't know what nine divided by 150 is, but the percentage is not good. If you didn't receive an email, please let me know and I'll I'll send you that that list of plans. And these are free plans that you can have to read the Bible through in a year. So I want to encourage you to do that and commend you to it. Look at the fourth benchmark of spiritual growth that Paul discusses. And that is spiritual strength. Spiritual strength. Verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan, said to be strengthened is to be furnished by the grace of God for every good work and fortified by that grace against every evil. He says spiritual strength is according to God's glorious might. The grace of God in the hearts of believers is the power of God and there is glory in this power. It's interesting because it's as if Paul gives us this outline here of what spiritual strength entails. You look at it with me. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. The first of, of three results of spiritual strength is this. Number one, endurance. If we are spiritually strong, we will Endure. It means to persevere or to be a believer who is steadfast in the faith. And I believe personally that endurance is something that is desperately lacking in the American church. This is, this is the reason that um, a few years ago I, I put myself to the task to write the white flag because I see the church is lacking in this area of endurance. It's no surprise that my good friend last week, Pete Williamson, should preach a text. I had no idea of the text he was preaching. He had no idea what I was preaching this week, but I include Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We must be believers who endure in the faith. Paul also says that another result of being spiritually strong is that we are patient. Some of you are new at Christ Fellowship, and so I'll give the illustration my grandpa used to give. He talked about the the Greek word for patience, which is translated according to Reverend V.W. Steele as long-suffering. Don't we need that? Don't we need that? I need that in the grocery store when I get behind a really slow person. 
I need long-suffering and patience when I get behind that guy that's driving 55 in a 65. I need that patience when my, when, my, when my nerves get frazzled and I need to develop patience. There's another quality here Paul refers to as joy, which is gladness or delight. These are all the, the end results of a follower of Jesus who is spiritually strong. And then, of course, in verse 12, Paul says that we are to be a people who have thankful hearts. And I believe that a thankful heart is the defining quality of a mature Christian. You show me a person who is unthankful, and I will show you a person who is immature and sour and bitter. May I encourage you in 2020, instead of being the first to condemn or the first to critique, be the first to thank. Be the first to commend. Be the first to give a a positive comment to build someone up. Paul says, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And when you think through these five benchmarks of What it means to grow stronger, walking worthily, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, spiritual strength, having a thankful heart. You will quickly learn that it involves a lifelong struggle, a lifelong struggle. The apostle Peter says that the passions of flesh wage war against your soul. That's why some mornings you wake up and don't want to read the Bible. That's why some days you you don't want to ask someone to forgive you. That's why some days you don't feel like being disciplined because there are forces at work against you, forces that wage war against your soul. But you will also learn that growing stronger involves sustained effort. Growing stronger involves striving and working and fighting hard as you cling tightly to the promises of God and trust the Holy Spirit to do a radical work of grace in your life. And so history has been peppered with pleas for change as we learned earlier. Paul's plea is much greater and much loftier. His plea is that you and I would experience radical life change and transformation to the glory of God. The truth point can be summarized like this Paul's prayer is that the people of God would be digging deeper and that they would be growing stronger. And please know that all spiritual transformation comes as a result of being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Radical life change is a direct result of absorption, assimilation, and unconditional surrender of God's sacred word. And that's the theme I want to put before you as members and attenders at Christ Fellowship to be a people who are digging deeper and growing stronger. And I want to close this morning by leaving you with some, with some ammunition. I want to leave you with some tools to put in your toolbox and, and help you understand what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus who commits to digging deeper and what's it mean to be a follower of Christ that commits to growing stronger. I'll do this fairly quickly. To dig deeper, three things. I want to encourage you to develop a thirst for truth. Again, the definition of a disciple is a learner. And so learning should be a way of life. It should be a way of life. 
for those of us, and that includes me, I, I am not the fastest reader in the world. The only way I get around to it and catch up with other people is to wake up really, really early in the morning. I'm slower than the average bear. And so if you struggle with reading hard books especially, remember these words from John Piper. He says, raking is easy. Raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard work, but you might find diamonds. Raking is easy. But all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. Digging deeper then becomes a part of your makeup. It becomes a part of your spiritual DNA. Number two, may I encourage you to, to develop a passion for learning. A passion for learning that we've already addressed. Number three, develop a habit of applying what you learn. I can tell you that what I'm committed to in 2020 is that when I read the Bible through in a year, I'll be journaling. And sometimes it's very short. I'll journal what I learned in the passage. Maybe it's a sentence. Maybe it's two sentences. But to follow that up with a prayer, Lord, help me to be this kind of a man. Lord, help me to set aside these sins. Lord, help me to be committed to you in the ways that I have just read. Move on to growing stronger. Let me give three very critical goals. Let me encourage you to to write at least one spiritual growth goal for 2020 and to review it often. More than one would be better. To write several would be supreme. Uh, Scripture reading, scripture memory, evangelism, revamping your prayer life. The list goes on and on. But I want to encourage you to... Make an attempt to grow stronger by writing at least one spiritual growth goal. Number two, may I encourage you to submit daily to the Holy Spirit. And you, you listen to the Holy Spirit as you read the Word of God. If you want God to speak to you, just open the book. Just open the book and God is committed to speaking to you. And then number three. I want to encourage you to exercise daily. We, we all know the importance of physical exercise. But spiritual exercise is no different. The word of God says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I believe that God is calling this church family to dig deeper and to grow stronger. I want to join together as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to make 2020 a year that we grow spiritually as individuals, as families, and as a church family, I'm going to have the worship team come. And as, as they come, I want to share with you how we're going to close the service. After we spend time at the Lord's table and, and uh, take part in the elements, the cup and the bread, we'll sing a closing song. And then on your way out, we have a special gift for everyone, including children. And you don't even have to be a coffee drinker. You can be a hot chocolate drinker. But we have a mug for Everyone, here it is here, and it has this insignia, digging deeper, growing stronger on it. And so every time you drink a good uh, hot chocolate, or better yet, a nice stiff latte, uh, you will remember this morning, you will remember that this is the year that we as a church family want to commit ourselves to, to digging deeper in the Word of God and to growing stronger as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we look forward to seeing you afterwards. Dreen and I will be back there, and we'll be uh, 
making sure each one of you gets a copy. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. And now as we come to the table, remembering the meaning of the bread and the juice. Lord, we're so thankful for the gospel. Lord Jesus, thank you for, uh, for your obedience for living a life that none of us could ever live and dying a death that everyone in this room deserved to die. And thank you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead on the third day so that we would have new lives, so that we would be forgiven of all our sins. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We celebrate that now in Jesus' name. Amen.